0: Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to be taking over right where we left off last week. The name Ellsworth Tenny Dahlgren will probably not mean much, if anything, to anybody here. But Ellsworth lived from 1912 to 1996 He was a journeyman baseball player, playing for nine different teams in his 11-year Major League career. And Babe is known for being, quote, unremarkable in almost every way. Yet it was on May 2nd, 1939, that this journeyman, uh, unremarkable in every way, made baseball history. It was that day, May 2, 1939, that Lou Gehrig in the dugout told manager Joe McCarthy, I've played my last inning, Joe. And he s- sunk down into the dugout, put a towel over his head, and Joe McCarthy said those famous words Babe, take first base. And Babe Dahlgren. He went by the nickname Babe, took over first base for Lou. This is the only remarkable thing in this man's career. And I have to admit, I feel a little bit about like a Babe Dahlgren this morning. Um, I thank the committee for this chance. Uh, I thank the session for allowing it to happen. And please pray for me as... Terrified as I might be that I would at least play an error free first base <laughs> and uh, do well to make my all of our manager, our heavenly manager happy so let 's stand for the reading of god 's word in Exodus chapter six. <clears throat> we ended the lord 's day at verse one in, in uh, In six, and we're going to continue there this morning. We'll be reading verse one again, going from verse one to verse nine. So let me read the passage, pray for God's blessing on our time together. Listen now as we hear God speak to Moses his very living word Exodus six to nine. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make known to them. I also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the, under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Redeemer Church, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Our Father, we do pray for the blessing of your preached word this morning in Christ's name, amen. Let me remind you where we stopped off last week. It was at the end of chapter 5, first part of chapter 6, and Moses, after being 40 years in Midian and some negotiation with uh, the Lord and his brother, Aaron and Moses went to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh did not listen to them, and Pharaoh did two things. First thing he said was, you're not going. Second of all, not only is your quota of bricks not changing, you're not going to get any straw. So now you get the straw and you make the bricks, nothing's changing. And Moses all of a sudden looked around and thought, this great plan of deliverance seems to be totally derailed. As things for the Israelites under slavery, as... Jordan reminded us last week, went from bad to worse. Pharaoh, who thought this was just a ruse, had dug in his heels and nothing changed. It only got worse. The people were upset with the foreman who had given them the directions. The foreman's were upset with Moses and Aaron, and angrily they said, why have you done this to us? And the foreman's complained to Moses and Aaron, and Moses complained to the Lord. And this is what we see at the end of chapter five, verses 22 and 23, where Moses asked the Lord two questions. He says, number one, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Question two, why did you ever send me? And verse 23, one parting comment He says, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Oh, the pain that we can feel through this man of God. The tyranny that Israel was under was real in every way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Why? Lord but if we're honest haven't we come to the Lord that way before maybe audibly maybe crying but at least in your own spirit hurt we say God why would you do this why would you do this to me now we know the big ones don't we they're easy loss of a job, many of us have experienced that. And you know, when you lose a job, it's more than just your income, isn't it? It's your status, it's your self-worth, it's your identity, they're gone. I remember some years ago I lost my job and it was, at least it will remind me of the exact time, but it was probably nine months and we had a severance in some of that. But I remember looking for a job and feeling this pain in my neck and back, and it never went away. I'd take medicine, it was just like, I couldn't turn my head, I, when I'd drive to back out of the, like, the, and all of a sudden, miracle of biblical proportion, I, when I got the job, all of a sudden, the pain was gone. And these are real, physical, emotional scars. But it's not just loss of a job. It's bodily pain and sickness. Begging for relief. I just want to be able to stand up, walk. I'm afraid that cancer is going to come back. I'm afraid the diagnosis is going to get worse. I'm afraid I'm going to catch a virus when I'm outside. And then there's grief. Loss of a loved one relationships broken, or even worse, the soul-quenching loss of hope and dreams. Now I know for a fact, all of these are realities in this church right now, many of them in this room. Lord, why would you do this? I just want to be married, I wanna be a good husband, I wanna be a, a good wife. Why? This loneliness is unbearable, Lord. We just wanna have children. That's a good thing, but we don't. And Lord, you gave me these kids and I don't know why you did. <laughs> and, and whether they're young or at home, or home and grown, or home and grown and still at home. It's hard. It's hard. And would you ever ask the second question that Moses asked the Lord? Lord, why did you send me? Lord, why did you send me into this marriage? I never thought it would be like this. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Why would you send me into this family? It's dysfunctional, it's hard, it's difficult than I could have ever imagined. It's more difficult. What are you doing? Why are you sending me here? And finally, have you ever come to the Lord with a complaint like Moses' head? Lord, you know I'm trying to do the right thing. I honestly am. But you don't seem to be on my side. You sent me, I'm listened, I've listened, I'm here, but why are you doing this, Lord? I'm holding up my bargain the best I can, it seems like you aren't. This was Moses' complaint, it might be yours. So what does God say to Moses about this? Well, this is our text today, for God answers Moses absolutely directly. And we'll see this under two major headings. First, we'll see God remind Moses one-on-one of four things, verses 2 through 5. Secondly, then, we'll see God's seven promises to Israel in verses 6 through 8. If your math is as good as mine, that's 11 points. And we'll try to get through them as quick as possible. Let's start first with God's four reminders to Moses. And as we saw last week, Moses' answer, or the answer to God, to Moses, starts in verse 1. So let's read that real quick. Verse 1, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, yea, with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The Lord doesn't argue with Moses, does he? He doesn't rebuke him. He simply says, okay, Moses, I know you're worried, but let me reiterate, this is going to work. I've called you to do this. Not only will this not fail, I'm telling you, Pharaoh is gonna let them go and he's gonna want them to go. He puts, a Moses, he puts Moses' immediate concerns directly aside. And you know, as we're reading this text, it's almost like it should be good enough right there. He says, I know you're worried about this, it's not working out, but it's going to work out. It's like, that should be good enough for this situation. It's like the next verse should say, and Moses took Aaron and returned to Pharaoh. The message is when it's bleak, God will come through. End of sermon, every head bowed, every eye closed, sermon over, and we would be fine with that. Yet, as they say on the Home Shopping Network, It's only 1995, but wait, there's more, (laughs) and there is more. This gracious God does more than just alleviate Moses' worry about Pharaoh. He spends the next verses in our text graciously, above graciously, telling Moses why he's done it and how he's going to do it to totally alleviate this man of God's pain. So let's look and and continue in the text looking at verse two. Verse two, God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. Now, this is the big idea of the passage. The Lord repeats this three times, verses two, verses six, and verses eight. God says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, And you know, the Hebrews could not even pronounce that word. And even today, as as you read the Hebrew text, as they read the Hebrew text, once they get to this word, Yahweh, they substitute it with Adonai, which is another word for Lord. So this word couldn't even be pronounced by the Israelites. But he says three times, I am the Lord. In Hebrew, Ani Adonai, three times. Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. This, brothers and sisters, is the most important part of his reply and the fundamental issue and answer to the book of Exodus. The answer is, who is the Lord? I am the Lord. And that's not only the answer for the book of Exodus, it's the answer to the entire Old and New Testaments. Who is the Lord? I am the Lord. Your need, brothers and sisters, your real need is not to have that pain, although real, alleviated. He will alleviate it. But your real need is to know who is the Lord. The Lord clarifies this and adds some more mystery to it in verse three. Let's look at that. Verse three, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And this is a real difficulty. As a matter of fact, there's scholars for a hundred years that have tried to come up with theories about what is happening here, because we know from, from listening to uh, sermons from the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 4, 26, as an example, the Lord says, at this time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, how can it be that we have the Lord, Yahweh, mentioned a hundred times in Genesis, and the people called him by the name of the Lord in Genesis 4, yet here in Exodus 3, it says, they didn't know him as the Lord. Well, here's the best explanation that we have. And many other people have come up with this, and I think it's absolutely true, that although they didn't know the name the Lord, although although they did know the name the Lord, they did not know the full identity of who that Lord was. They knew his title, Yahweh, but not him in a redemptive sense. Look at verse 3 again. He says, In verse three, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known unto you. Now, where he says I made myself known to to Jacob, Isaac, Abraham as God Almighty, you already know that Hebrew saying. That Hebrew saying there of, of how they did know the God is El Shaddai. You all know it. El Shaddai, the, the all-powerful God, right? El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyon El Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same by the power of his name. That's how they knew him. They knew him as this powerful God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai was the mighty, the strong one. They knew God as this almighty, strong, sovereign Lord, but what they didn't know fully was this sovereign Lord was also their redeemer. It was a knowledge of the name itself that eluded them, but an understanding of all the things that this signified, they missed. He goes on, verse four, and says, I will also establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So number one, he appears to them. Number two, he establishes a covenant with them. Moses, I established my covenant with you. I made promises. I have a plan. This is the second book of the Bible and we're just now getting hints of this glorious covenant of grace that we just confessed. What is the covenant of grace? And the Lord says, I have always had this plan. And this plan is my covenant of grace. Lisa read to me this week from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening where Spurgeon says, as only Spurgeon can, he comments on the covenant of grace. And he says, the covenant of grace is, quote, the richest of foods that we can gorge ourselves on and never be sick. Isn't that great? We gorge ourselves on the covenant of grace and what it means and never get enough of it. And then Spurgeon quotes this. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Brothers and sisters, it's his oath and his covenant that supports you and I in the whelming flood as Moses was feeling and many of us feel today. It's his covenant, his plan. The same covenant to release Israel from bondage is the covenant that releases you From your sin and allows you to trust in Christ as Savior. And finally, let us see the third and fourth things that God says to Moses in verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Oh, those words, I have heard. Now, doesn't it make all the difference in, your wor- in the world when you're communicating with someone and they're actually listening to you and looking at you and not doing this? Yeah. Yeah, sure, I understand that. Mm, it's good. Yeah, oh, wonderful. Hey, you had a good day then. <laughs> yeah. Or what I think is even worse is going to the doctor for a complaint and you're here sick, the doctor's here, and he or she is turned this way and going, yeah, okay. Well, then, what else did you feel? Okay, that's right. And you know, okay, super. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, then. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a couple prescriptions. Uh, I want you to take it easy for the next two days and uh, come back and see me in, uh, you know, a month, six weeks. Okay? Great. Hey, good talking to you today. And they said, that's that's not communication. It's how are you? Let me feel that. Let me touch that. Let me eye-to-eye contact. You can almost see Moses listening to the Lord. And the Lord, Lord is saying here, Moses, I've been leaning in. I know you can't see me, but I'm listening. I hear you. I've appeared to you. I've established a covenant. And I've heard you. And finally, the fourth thing is he says, I have remembered my covenant. I've not forgotten all that I promised. God heard the groanings of the children of Israel. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew, and this is beautiful, I've been listening all along, Moses. I haven't forgot my covenant. And as much pain as you're in, as much as this crazy year has set you back, he hasn't forgot his covenant, people. He still loves you, and he will not forget. He's not helpless. He's not too busy. He's not too small. He's not indifferent. Your suffering is not catching him off guard. He's not rolling his eyes. He is the Lord. The first thing God says to Moses is the same thing we need to listen to this morning. He says, Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. Listen to that, brothers and sisters. He is the Lord. He's your Lord this morning. Not only does he address Moses, he also addresses the people of Israel. And he could have stopped there as well. Okay, now you know it, go on to Pharaoh. But he doesn't do that. He not only says, Moses, remember this, this is what I've done. Now he says, this is what I will do. And he does it with seven I wills. Let's look at them in the text. Verse six say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, I will deliver you from slavery to them. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Number four, I will take you to be my people. Number five, I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number six, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Number seven, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. What amazing, comforting promises. Moses could not wait to tell the people. Guys, You need to listen. God has reminded me these four things and here's the seven things he's gonna do. Listen to me. Every good preacher does what Moses just did. And I can tell you this, it's not when you're preparing, oh, I know they're gonna laugh here. (laughs) This is a good one, I have this one down. No, it's oh, I see this Lord, oh help them see this. Help them see you. That's Bible preaching. This is what Moses does to the children of Israel. He relates exactly what he's heard from the Lord to them. And as great and as wonderful as those promises are to Israel, we have the same promises only greater. And this is how God works in his covenants. As he reveals them they get better and they get better. And they're more expansive and they're more wonderful. And he gets to the new covenant. And he says to Israel, here, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. And Jesus says to all of us, I will make your yoke easy. I will make your burden light. He says to Israel, I will deliver you from slavery of the Egyptians. And Jesus says, I will deliver those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. To Israel, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And Jesus says, I will redeem you with two outstretched arms on the cross of Calvary. He said to Israel, I will take you to be my people. And Jesus says, I will bring you near to me, you who are far off from me, alienated from Israel, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, I will take you. He says to Israel, I will be your God. And Jesus says, I will dwell with you. You will be my people, and I will be with you as your God. He says to Israel, I will bring you into the land that I promised to give you. And Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Where I am, you will be also. And he says, I will give the land to you as a possession, Israel. And Jesus says, I will give you your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Our promises are greater even than those of Israel. Oh, how God loves to make promises. And as his people, we often struggle to believe that they're really true, don't we? Yet, look at verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, He preached his best sermon. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. That may be one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. Because of their broken spirit and the slavery, they couldn't even hear these words of promise. The I wills of salvation turned into an I won't by God's own people. God says, I will, I will, I will. And they say, I won't believe you. They could not hear the promises of God because of their pain. They could not see through their own suffering. You can translate this Hebrew of the end of that, at the end of the verse, uh, as this as a shortness of spirit. They had a broken spirit, but it really is almost a shortness of breath. It's, it's, it's out of breath. It's, it's, they're exhausted. One commentator says this, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. He says that what Israel was suffering here is a demoralization brought on by exhaustion. But can we relate to that or what? I gotta tell you, I don't know a better explanation of this year 2020, particularly two days before an election. I can't think of it as any other way than the demoralization brought on by exhaustion. That's how we are. Are you too hurt to hear God's promises to you, brethren? Are you too burdened to believe? It's all too human that we turn the I wills of God and his salvation to I won'ts of unbelief. That's what God is calling you to do this morning. That's why he says three times, can you hear him, Redeemer? I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. As we begin to close, let's consider just two thoughts, two questions around this text that I really want you to think about. Number one, are you like Israel in that the only way you've ever seen God is that sovereign, powerful God up there? Is he your redeemer? Your savior? Your friend? Have you really closed with Christ? And by the way, this is for everybody. Officers of the church, members of the church, guests, visitors, kids, old, it doesn't matter. Have you really closed with Christ? This is one of my most prized possessions. It's volume number 42 in the works of Martin Luther. It's one of three devotional works. And I pulled this off the bookshelf in May two years ago. When after coming back from Europe, my mom and dad, who they loved going, uh, within three days of coming back, my dad had been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor, given six months to live, and my mom had a heart attack and had to be uh, ambulanced up to Spokane, Washington to have open heart surgery. All in the space of just a a couple of days, and I got my things ready to go, and I wanted to be there with them when my my mom went under surgery, and I I thought, I've got to get something to you know, for dad. And the last 10 years of his life, my father and I had the greatest relationship that any Christian man could have with his father. My dad and I had a bond over the Reformation theology and works of Luther and Every now and then Amazon would come and drop off a book for me that my dad had read and sent me and I would do the same and we talked and planned a, a trip to Germany to see all the sights of Luther and I thought, I've got to find something to, to comfort my dad. And so I went to Luther's devotional writings and was looking through the table of contents and I saw page 95, a sermon on preparing to die and I read it and tears started streaming down my face and in this wonderful treatise, Luther lays out 14 things in typical Luther style to think about and I thought, I gotta get a chance to read this to my dad. So we met with mom's surgeon, we went to back to the hotel, my dad was tired and I went to, he and I were sharing a hotel room and got, I, my dad said, I just wanna go to bed, I said, me too, It was maybe 8.30 and so he said, Mark, will you pray for mom one more time? And I said, sure. So I'm in my bed, and I'm praying. And I, as I start to pray, I see my 84-year-old dad slip out of bed and get on his knees outside the bed and put his arms up, and we're praying for my mom. And then I said, Dad, I brought something for you to read for you. It's a sermon by Dr. Luther. Great. I said, it's called, you know, a sermon on preparing to die. And he said, I need that. So, so my dad's in his bed. I'm in mine, and I start to read. The first point of the the message is uh, uh, get your worldly things in order, your worldly goods in order, so that no one fights over them when you're gone. And my dad's like, I can't hear you. (laughs) He said, scoot over. So (laughs) he's going to get in bed with me. So my dad gets in bed with me. And not only is he in bed with me, but he's leaning on the pillow like a little kid just listening to what I'm saying, and I'm reading this sermon and i said okay are your worldly goods in order i don't know your mom's taking care of that i'm good <laughs> that's my dad and then he gets to point number 2 and point number 2 luther says if you've hurt somebody and haven't made it right make it right because you're going to die and then he says if somebody's hurt you and ha- and you haven't forgiven them forgive them and i said how you doing? i was about ready to say how you doing with that dad and all of a sudden he crawls out of bed and you know, he, he was always bent over a little bit at the end and he's walking like this, his baggy shorts. And <laughs> I said, What are you doing? He goes in and he gets a piece of paper and a pen. He goes, I gotta write some names down. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes up, he starts writing the names down. And then we get to number three, and number three is just beautiful. What Luther says, if you've never entered in the narrow way, enter it today. If you've never closed with Christ, close with him. And then Luther says, and don't bother really worrying about it. Because you know in your heart if you haven't closed with Christ, so close with him. Point number four. four. And so I asked dad, I said, dad, have you you closed with Christ? And and those of you that knew my dad, you would appreciate Jesus. Well, of course, who else am I going to trust in? Go to the next one. He had no problem with that because he knew his Savior. And I would ask you, brothers and sisters, if you have never closed with Christ, I can't say it clear or enough. Today is the day of salvation. Flee to the cross like maybe you never have before. Don't leave this room without talking to me or one of the other elders or Jordan or anybody, the deacons. If you don't know, just ask. Any member will point us out. You can close with Christ today if you've never done it. Point number two. Are you like Israel where your pain just can't allow you to see God's word of grace to you this morning? Are you simply just exhausted? More than anything, I don't want to repeat myself, but it's so true. More than anything, you need these words of encouragement just like Moses did. Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai. I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. That's what you need to hear, friend. The Lord has appeared to you like he appeared to to the children of Israel. He's established a covenant with you. He hears you. And he has not forgotten that covenant. Come to him. You say, how do I come to him? You're gonna get a chance in a few minutes, brothers and sisters, and there's nothing better that we ever do in this church. It's right here. You come to him. You flee to him. You sit in your pew and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm bound on this, you know. Lord, minister to me. And then you sit there and watch, and you say, oh, well, Greg's only four rows away. Well, now he's three. Now he's two. He's almost to my row. And then you say, Lord, I'm coming, and you come, and you minister and let Christ minister to you. That's what happens in this supper. He doesn't come down and get in the elements and become the wine or become, no, his spirit comes down and lifts you up to where he is. He's not moving. He's uh, seated at the right hand of God the Father. But by his spirit, he'll lift you up and us as a congregation together to sup with him, to minister with us. Do it. Run down this aisle. Well, the unremarkable Babe Dahlgren Spent the less, rest of his life talking about May 2nd, 1939. You can do a quick search on YouTube and find an interview with ESPN's Keith Oberman shortly before Babe died. And Keith Oberman says, tell us something about that day we don't know. And Babe Dahlgren goes, I'll tell you something you don't know. I almost hit four home runs. And Keith Oberman, do tell. And he said, first time up, I hit one way out of the park, home run. Second time up, I hit one off the top of the wall, easy stand up double, should have been out, wind was blowing in a little bit. And he said, then I got robbed twice. (laughs) And he said, Keith Oberman says, man, it sounds like you had quite a day. And he said, I had a day. Well, brothers and sisters, I'll always have this day. It's special. And may the Lord use his word in a special way in all our hearts this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we do know that you are the Lord. Lord, again, if there's someone here that has never closed with you, may today be the day. And Father, those of us who have a hard time trusting you and believing you, may we turn to you by faith. May we flee again and sup with you together in this marvelous supper that you've given us as a means of grace until we see you face to face. Make it happen, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's turn to Hymn 675 and sing it the same way they did at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, loud and like we mean it.